this is Alternate Take, and I am your host. Welcome back, bitches. On this episode, we did it again. We brought you guys fire again. Uh, <laughs> guilty. Sorry. Someone put out the fire over here. Oh, I can't. Um, fucking terrible joke. I wasn't even joking. I was just like, who cares? Um, this episode, dude, was really fucking cool. We brought back the retired homicide lieutenant, Gil Carrillo. For those of you guys, I didn't even speak English right there. For those of you guys who don't know Gil, you're stupid. Um, and also, you're ignorant, dude, because Gil is a legend. Um, Gil was on the docuseries that came out, I believe, back in December. Um, maybe a little even before that. I don't really remember. Of 2020, uh, of, for the Night Stalker documentary. Gil is accredited with the capture of Richard Ramirez, the most infamous serial killer of all time. He caught that guy. So, uh, don't fuck around. I'll catch you too. I'm serious. I'm not. He's not going to do that. He's a nice guy. But anyways, we had him on back in January of 2021 to kick off the year. And the feedback from you guys has just been nonstop. In fact, we've had a lot of crazy, super notable guests since then. And the one that I get the most people ask me about is a... That sentence didn't make any sense either. Dude, I'm off my fucking rocker today. The guests we get the most feedback on, the people that ask the most questions about, is definitely Gil Carrillo. So we said, fuck it, man. It's time to bring him on. Six months six months has passed, and he's done a lot of shit since then. So we're like, let's, uh, let's get a little progress report on Gil and see see what he's been up to, man. And, it, and it's it's been quite a doozy. So I hope you guys uh, enjoy what he had to say, man. I, every time I get to talk to him, it's always a thrill, man. He's a... Uh, Super knowledgeable guy and uh, just a super nice guy, man. It's it's a good time for me, and um, that's all I have to say. I bring to you retired homicide lieutenant Gil Carrillo. That's why I just stay out of the gym and I don't fuck with anything. There it is. Tremendous. Anything, anything that's going to make me sweat, no, fuck it. That's too much work. <laughs> I'm with you. Fuck that shit. I'm just happy to go see the guys. Who's uh, Who are they? Is this from... Uh... They were two guys that I went to the academy with. Holy shit. Yeah, one of them uh, got himself in an awful lot of fucking trouble and went to prison. And Damn. Got, he was one of, if you know anything about the history of the department, there were 18 guys that all of them went to prison for stealing money from narco. Oh, they're, shit. They were part of Barco Narco. You know, they were doing majors, and all they were doing was confiscating money. So they'd get major drug dealers going there. The drug dealer would have $800,000 ready to buy some stuff. Yeah, he's out of there, and they confiscate his money, and six hundred thousand went to the department, and two hundred thousand went to the fucking team. Holy shit! And and it all started because the department wasn't, you know, they they were under equipped, and so they started confiscating this money, and they're counting money, closing down the shop for the night, and they'd been working all day, fucking hard. One guy says, "Hey, take some of this money." I was gonna say, "Go buy some pizzas." Bought some pizzas. And that's how it started. Nobody's going to miss this. Oh, shit. So then what they started doing, okay, you know, just count. Hey, we need some vests. These fucking vests that they have are no Okay, here. And the drug dealers aren't going to complain. Fuck no. So go get some vests. Hey, we need some guns. These fucking guns we got are no good. Here, let's buy some guns. Then it just became a routine deal. And never underestimate the scorn of an angry woman. <laughs> <laughs> An ex-wife wrote a letter because oh, before shit. we didn't have internal criminal investigations. Yeah. We only had, if it was a major investigation against a deputy a crime, 
they would go to homicide bureau. And they decide two homicide dicks because they were creme de la creme. They were trusted and here, start working this. Well, Gary Kotler and Mike Scott, Mike Scott was new up in homicide. They gave them this case. And then they said, uh-oh. And she said, somebody better start looking at what's going on. My husband pays me alimony and child support, yet he's bought himself a boat and riverfront property. Oh, shit. And he's buying a motorcycle next. And they started looking into it, and the whole team, they're buying everything cash. Damn. And that's what started the investigation, and then they all fell down. Well, Dan, he was my asshole buddy. I mean, he, <laughs> he's a Mexican trapped in a white man's body. <laughs> he was uh, raised in Bellflower, used to cruise in Bellflower, was a good guy. We hung around together, and then after graduation, uh, his wife, uh, Yvonne, Bonnie, him and Bonnie and my wife and myself, we'd go, we'd go out and have fun. He went out to Carson, was a cop's cop, and then he did a video for the department after he got out and told him, this is how it all started. You go out for the night on patrol and, okay, who can come up with the most guns or who can come up with the most felonies tonight? Right. He says, so you go up and that gun, and cops do it all the time. When you get somebody out of the car and you smell dope and you're, and you're reaching around and underneath the seat, there's a gun. Well, when you ride when you ride it up, because they didn't have PC to go underneath the seat, maybe they didn't smell the dope. They're just shaking and baking. Right. The guy stepped on the brake. The gun sit out. They could see the butt of the gun protruding from underneath the seat. That was a lie. They take the guy to jail for the gun. Nobody said anything. That's how. He says that's how it all started. Just little lies. Small things. Yeah. And then when it got up here, then we started getting the money and got greedy. And everybody was happy. Nobody was missing anything. The department was still getting a great big chunk of change, and we're just divvying up the rest. And he got convicted, and he went to prison like all of them did. Fuck. And when we went out, you know, he sits there very plainly in front of me and says, hey, you can ask me anything you want to. About prison, about what we did, how we did it, you can ask me anything you want to, Gil. And I just told him, none of my fucking business. Yeah, I feel like that's a weird thing to pry about, right? Because you're just yeah. like, it's uh, out of respect from, but you're also like, hey, man, like, if you want to tell me something, I'm here. I'll listen to anything you want to tell me. If there's something you need to talk to me about from your experience there, but like, I don't want to be like, oh my god, what was it like? Like, I'm not gonna yeah. fucking do that and bug you. How about did you it. do it? Why'd you do it? Where'd the money go? Did you cite? Did you hide any money when you came? Yeah, I just told him, Dan, it's none of my business, brother. You were my friend before you went in. You're my friend today, and that's all that matters. You paid your debt to society. Wow. I don't hold nothing against you. That's why I'm here. We're friends. Wow. That's and, awesome. And so uh, I got two buddies that went to prison, and uh, I've had lunch with both of them. Still see them. That's the shit. Yeah. That's what it's about. I have I have friends like that from the old neighborhood that I still, I, I'm thinking about reaching out to because I haven't seen them in such a long time. But that was when I was playing ball at Pico right there at uh, Rivera Park. And they're just funny kids, like super funny kids that are just so far advanced in like humor and like uh I wouldn't say maturity, but um, just in socialization, if that makes any sense. Because obviously the neighborhood, they're just a little mm -hmm. bit ghetto kids. I remember we had this one kid named Ralphie. He was fucking hilarious. He was a little fucking asshole. It, 
anyone who came in, like if you had a hot sister, you'd be like, hey, like tired sister, I said, what's up? And it's like, and the blow, the blows are on right away. Or your mom's fucking hot. Like he just never cared, and he just always, and then they would always fight, and it was he just said, he would say the same shit again tomorrow. Like he just knew Ralphie was Ralphie, and uh, I remember he actually had his older, it was technically his older uh, cousin, but it was like an uncle that was a coach of the team, but his cousin is. Is uh sisters with his mom, I think. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. How, how does this work? Technically, it's his younger cousin, even though he's like only 12. The other guy's like 30 something, but they're they're cousins. And then that would make his kid, who's the same age, his second cousin. Right. So you know, he's always like, "I'm your uncle, bitch." He'd always tell him, "I'm your fucking uncle, bitch." Don't you forget it. It's the same fucking age. And then uh, he would always treat Ralphie like a dick, and then he would treat his son soft. You know, and then he, I remember Ralphie being off of him and be like, hey, why are you treating your son like a fucking bitch? Everyone getting 10 fucking pitches, he's getting fucking 15, he sucks at hitting. And he would talk shit, he's like, shut up, Ralphie, walk home. He will fuck you then, I'll walk home. And I remember just laughing, like dying laughing at this shit. And some of the shit he would say to the other teams, like that we would play, like they're very intimidating, like big, tall, fucking strong dudes. And he said, what the fuck are you looking at? And the kid would be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like he's walking in with his back. So I'm like, man, like, you know, everyone has crazy kids from there, or people that you know from your past that I, I want to reconnect with. That's been years since I've seen them. It's been. Since I was 12? I was, uh, I was very lucky, you know. I told you the cop took me home and said, get him off the streets or he'll end up dead and in prison. Yeah. Or in prison. I go back, the only guys uh, that didn't go in, the guys that did not go in, are either dead or did time in prison or still in prison. Yeah. From my block. But after I became a cop, there was another guy right around the corner. We grew up together from the same, same block. And he was three weeks ahead of me in the academy. Three months ahead of me in the academy, he went through. He got hired on, and when he found out I was going through the process, we talked, and he said, okay, first thing you got to do is forget everybody from the block. You know, you can't hang around. You can't do anything with these guys. Stay away, fuck away from the block. Yeah. Well, a couple of years later, I'm a cop. Three years later, four years later, I'm working East L.A. Patrol for a while, and I know what's up. And... My family still lived in the neighborhood. I'd go back there, and if I was around, I'd go see the fellas. And <clears throat> they really didn't care. They accepted me. They'd have a beer with me. And they said, if Robert comes around, he says, we'll fuck him up. You know, he's no fucking good. Yeah. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. Mo fuck that motherfucker. He's a <laughs> punk. We'll fuck him up. Yeah. And they didn't like him at all. And I remember one time going to... Uh, Pico Park, which is right there, Beverly and Durfee, right behind you. Yeah, High. a lot of tournaments there. And so I'm there watching uh, a softball game. I, I may have even been there to play because I used to play there a lot as a cop. Yeah. And so I'm there, and I see some of my old guys that I went to school with. And one of them, Ruben Moncayo, hey, what's up, brother? How you doing, Holmes? You know. Eh. Yeah. And one of his partners, one of the guys there, lights up a joint. And Ruben just smacked him right in the back of the fucking head. <laughs> he says, motherfucker, motherfucker, respeto, you know, hey, the hog. That's what they used to call me. The hog, hey, he's the hoot hog. Have a little respect. What kind of shit is this? Yeah. You know? and he, so I got along with all of them, you know. And uh, Mike Garcia went into the station one time. Mike's now dead from the block. And I'm at East L.A. and I saw him at the counter. I said, hey, Mike, what are you doing here? He says, I'm here to pick some shit up. They got me accused of burglary. They kicked me out. You know, Mont Montebello's saying I'm a burglar. They're full of shit. And here comes the jailer with his stuff. And he says, well, 
That's not what Montebello says. They says you're a burglar and they got you. He says, Gil, tell him I ain't a burglar. Tell him what I am. I looked at the guy and said, Mike's a dope dealer. And he <laughs> oh, looks shit. at the guy and he says, and a goddamn good one, too. <laughs> so I don't need this shit. This is a fucked up burglary. I didn't know well, burglary. I'm a fucking dope dealer and I'm proud. You know? <laughs> Next time I see him, I see him in CJ. I'm walk I go down there and interview somebody while I was working murders. Yeah. And I said, Mike, what's up, brother? What are you doing? He says, Oh, Gil. He says, I'm gonna tell you. I fucked around with that cocaine. I had never used it before. He says, I'll never use it again. He says, I'm here. I ain't going to be in here for long, but I fucked up, and I take my punishment, but that cocaine is fucking crazy shit. Yeah. Know? So I got along with all of them. That's crazy. You know. Uh, did you uh, did you have that experience a lot when you're either in custody? Did you Was that a thing for you? Like, Did you see friends from the neighborhood? Yeah, the same guy, Mike Garcia. I got written up. I got an attaboy. I got accommodation. <laughs> I was working early mornings, and we'd get off, I think, at 7 o'clock with shift change. Mm -hmm. And I was... A prowler. Those were the guys that they were like, you had the tank deputies. Right. And then you had the prowlers. Those were the guys that would tell them what to do and they were all back up. And I'm a prowler. And I may have been working the board that night, which is really like a senior guy. And all of a sudden the board lights up and everybody's telling me, hey, you got a riot over here on 12. You're starting to riot. And I said, all right. So I went out there take control of it right now. So when I went out there, and during this time, this had to be about 5.30 in the morning because our brass used to sleep at night. Yeah, and hell yeah. They'd go in there and they'd sleep, and then they'd get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, make sure everything's right for shift change. So I go down there, and I see Mike as the tank trustee. I <laughs> oh, said, shit. Mike, he says, oh, Gil, this is fucked up. I'm sorry you're here. I said, what's the problem? He says, we got this, this, and this, and all we want to do is talk to somebody about it, but nobody will give us the fucking time of day. I said, tell you what, Mike, you get everybody back in their cells, and I'll get you somebody. You got my word on it. And he says, you do that? I said, yeah, brother, you just get them back inside. He gave the word. They all went back inside. The fucking paper and piss started stopped. The fire stopped. Everybody's back inside, racked them in. I told uh, the people on the on the desk, hey, wake up the watch commander, tell him to get his ass out here. So we'll come up, talk to him, and he says, okay. He says, we'll take care of this, and we'll get the captain to talk to these guys. And I said, there you go, Mike. So I got written up, got accommodation for quelling a riot, <laughs> potentially serious riot, serious problem. They didn't know that Mike was my old street buddy. Yeah. And I got... Uh, during the movie Heat, I worked on the movie Heat. Oh, shit. And they were talking. It's a big the, movie. The wives uh, in the movie go visit their husbands or their boyfriends that are in jail, that are in custody. So they wanted the experience of going through and talking to somebody in jail. So they went out the wayside. I went out there, met them. They explained what they wanted. And I said, okay. And they said, now, wayside, I don't know if you're ever familiar with the way they work. Downstairs, down to the bottom, when you go in, they have a building. That's where everybody, all the visitors check into. Mm -hmm. So you got to stand out in that fucking line of heat, wait until you get inside. Then when you're done there, then you go out of the building, then you wait over here at a bus stop, and they get transportation to pick you up and take you up to the top of the hill to the visiting section. So I said, okay. They said, okay, you, you want to take them right up there to the bus line? I said, no. They want the experience. 
make them stand in line like everybody else. And so made them stand in line. They said, do you think you can arrange to have somebody that will talk to them once they get there? I said, I can do that. And Mike's brother, Richard, was in custody up there. He was a third striker, and his third strike was he had gone into uh, Home Depot. Was it Home Depot or maybe even Thrifties? And stole some Thomas Guides. I know you guys don't know what Thomas Guides are. I remember them in my car. I never, I still can't read all the shit, but yeah. Well, he stole some Thomas Guides. He probably three or four of them, put them underneath his shirt and his pants and started walking out and he got caught. But then, you know, that third strike, because it was a burglary, he went in there, he had petty theft with a prior, which now makes it a burglary. Uh. And when they first started this three strike rule, didn't have to be a violent felony. So Damn. He, so he was a third strike felon. So he went to CJ, and then from there he was going to go to prison for I don't know how many fucking years. So he was at uh, Wayside awaiting transportation. I went up to him. I said, hey, brother, you want to help a brother out? I got these actors here. They want to find out what it's really like to interview somebody. And you're, you're a street rat. You know what it's like. He says, yeah, I'll do it. So did it for them. They visited him. They felt so fucking sorry. They each gave him 100 bucks to put on his books. No shit. Yeah, just because they felt sorry for him, how he was <laughs> fucked in there and what was going on. And it gave him what they wanted, the ability to visit somebody in the jail. And so friends help out. Hell yeah. You know, I never even did the intro to this. What's up, everybody? This is Alternate <clears throat> Take. We got back Gil Carrillo. For those of you guys who don't know, Gil Carrillo is the baddest motherfucker in the United States. I don't know <laughs> if that's accurate. But I believe that shit. Um, we've had him on the podcast. Last time we had you on the podcast was in, in January. January wow. 21. So it's been six months. Wow. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, bro. Time flies. And a lot has happened since then. Um, has there been any uh, Netflix updates? Well, you, you know, Netflix, uh, when it happened, uh, just in general, it went uh, to number one for a week in the nation, went to number six in the world. As a result of that, I remember the director telling me when it dropped, he says, well, it's it's out. Enjoy and get ready for the ride. Yeah. And so I had no idea what he was talking about. I had no idea what was going to happen. Uh, my life is entirely different. I mean, I, w- I wish I were making a lot more money, but, I mean, it's just entirely different. I'm w- What I'm getting right now, money can't buy. And I've heard from people all around the world. I've done television for Everything from Australian TV to Dr. Oz. You know, I, I did uh, Tamara Hall's show. I saw that, yeah. And I've uh, done some stuff with uh, Canadian TV. I don't know how many podcasts, how many, you know, video uh, Zooms, yeah. interviews, and it's still going on. You know, I've been fortunate. Uh, I've done a couple with uh, Mr. George Lopez. I, yeah, that too. Jesus and, Christ. And I was just looking uh, this morning. And uh, my first uh, podcast when I was number 11, my memory serves me correctly. It's a little over 200,000 views on it now. Jesus Christ. Uh, I just They just dropped one last week and uh, with Be Real. Cypress uh, Hill. Cypress Hill. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that one, in a week, it's up to 73,000 uh, views. And Holy so he, he's getting some attention. And, and I was totally stoked last night. You know, I was 
uh, I'm going to tell the world, you know, Be Real is all about his uh, cannabis. The, yeah, and, the biggest donor. And yeah. so I didn't find out. Unfortunately, I didn't know who Be Real was. I had no idea what the show was going to be about. George just invited me down. I went down. George treats me good. And then we started talking. I could see what the, the whole show was about. And George hit me up and said, hey, Gil, come on. Hey, you were a cop before, which is not a cop anymore. And you went to Vietnam, and I understand weed was really easy to get done. And I explained to him that weed, you could go and buy like a pack of cools. Matter of fact, they used to sell it in packages of cools, resealed. They'd unroll the tobacco on the inside and uh, refill it with weed, and you'd go. Yeah. Plus, yeah. the weed in Vietnam must have been <laughs> fucked up. You probably fucking did one little hit and probably tripping, but I don't know what the fuck they did in their I shit. Have, I have no idea because <laughs> I didn't do it. I flew, and anybody who was going to get my helicopter wasn't going to be loaded. You know, you, Hell no. You needed to live. So I just told them I didn't do it. And then, you know, I, since I didn't do it, I didn't miss it. And shortly after I got out of the Army, I became a cop. And when I hit the streets of East L.A., weed was a felony. A single joint was a felony at that time. Yeah. So they changed it. Today, I'm here to tell you I'm not a prude. It's legal. I don't care who does it. It doesn't bother me. Right. There's just a stigma. I was a cop for 38 years. You know, it was bad. It was evil. So now I feel guilty. If my family were to start using it, I wouldn't give a hoot. Yeah. I really don't care. It's none of my business. It's their personal choice. My doctor recommends I have, you know, once you get old, something you have to look forward to. Uh, when you get old, you get things like arthritis. And you, your joints hurt a little bit. Ugh. I talked to my doc. My doc says, hey, I give my mother this ointment. So I was in uh, Laughlin. I purchased some ointment. And when I went to this store to buy it, the guy, I said, which one's better? This one? One has T TCB. The other one has THC. Mm -hmm. I said, what's the difference? He says, well, the TCB one, he says, it's it's good, but it doesn't have the weed extract that gets you. Oh, you mean CBD? CBD. Yeah, yeah. And uh, see, that's how much I know about this stuff. Yeah. You know, so CBD and the other one has THC. And I said, well, which one's best? He said, well, the THC works better. So I said, okay. So I bought it. I go home. I rub it on my uh, hand, on my pinky. You don't have viewing on here, but you can see my fingers all crooked. You know, oh, my, yeah. my, my little finger, I broke it playing ball with the department years ago, and now I got problems in it, and it hurts. Damn. So uh, rub this stuff on there, and the pain, it's not like instant. No, no, no. You know, it's, it's, not not like a, it's not like a Bengay where you feel like the, the exactly. heat. Exactly. You, you no. just put it on there, and then pretty soon you realize, hey, they're saying, how's it working? I said, how's what? How's the thing? Hey, I forgot all about it. You just kind of like it just goes away by itself. You don't notice it. Yeah. Doesn't happen. Instant. So I, I do. And I told them. I said, be honest, you know, I bet you there's retired cop friends of mine that are trying it, that are using weed or whatever it is. Right. But they don't want to talk about it because of that stigma. I said, so I, I really don't care, and I don't care who does. Be real, I found to be extremely knowledgeable, very articulate, cool dude, just really nice. We, we laughed. We had fun. It was a pleasure meeting him. And I was really thrilled because I just found out yesterday all this, uh, what do you call this, Instagram stuff. Yeah. This is all new to me. Yeah. I'm old. It's hard to learn this stuff. You're trying to tell me on the phone what to do. <laughs> I had to get my granddaughter over there to show me, hey, what's this? How do I do this? Well, I just realized yesterday, Be Real started following me. 
Oh, no shit. Yeah, and so I wrote him a little message. I said, hey, thanks. This is cool, you know. And he had some nice things to say. We exchanged pleasantries, and he told me whatever I needed him for anything, just reach out to him. He's there. So I'm sitting there saying, hey, here's a guy that is an entertainer that's gone all over the place and uh, willing to share a little love. So that was cool. Yeah. And don't worry, listeners, I'm not going to hit him up for any weed. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> you see, catch Gil faded as hell in a week from now on his couch watching episode of Friends crying and, I, and shit. And, <laughs> I, and, I, and I told, I was concerned because, uh, make no secrets about it, I'm supporting the current sheriff for his reelection. Mm-hmm. And certainly I don't want to do anything or say anything on here that's going to bring anything negative to him. Right. And he said, hey, as long as it's legal and up and up, he says, I don't care. Right. You know, which I thought was a very admirable position to take. Yeah, especially considering it's not like a, a drug that, that usually incites a lot of violence. I, that, I think that's the reason why everyone ha- is, has a little bit more, like, logic behind it. It's, I, in fact, I don't even get social smokers. That's fucking weird to me that people can smoke and go out and, like, conversate. That's just weird. Like, you don't want to just hang out and sit on the couch and do nothing. Like, that's what most people want to do. Like, it's kind of a private drug. As to where drinking, even though it's technically a depressant, makes you up you want to go out and like mingle and you know hit on the super hot lady or some shit you want to do something so like that's that even surprised me a little bit but yeah it's it doesn't surprise <laughs> me that it should be that way like if you're it's a drug where it just i mean obviously don't fucking drive i mean don't yeah. don't drive anything but other than that you should be fine so it's cool and and and, and continuing on what's happened since i just had probably the greatest experience i've ever had since yeah I, I was invited to something was called uh, crime con. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I, I've heard Comic Con, where you go and all these people dress up. As, oh yeah, that's fucking fuck superheroes that. or freaks. Yeah, and my fucking roommate would love that shit. He's a loser. So what would uh, Crime Con be like? I had no idea what to expect. I was invited just two weeks ago because I'd had uh, lunch with a uh, forensic psychologist and. Uh, after lunch, he called me and he said, hey, would you mind if I submitted your name? He said, I think you'd be great for this conference coming up. And wh- where's this conference at? This was in Austin, Texas. Okay. And they said, uh, I said, go ahead. You know, I have no idea what it's about. You know, if you think it's good. He says, well, I go and I've, I've lectured there before. I said, all right. So they sent me a, an email and then a telephone call. Next thing I know, they're flying me first class to Austin, Texas to go be a guest speaker. God damn. How many people were there? Uh, they expected, and, and they got, I know they got them. They, they expected uh, only half as much because it's the first thing they've done since COVID. COVID just recently opening up. So they only had about 1,500 people. And that's a, that's a shit ton of people. And, and some of those people, the VIPs, were paying $1,500 a pop. Holy shit. And so they're making banks. So they had no hesitation flying me out there first class. And I went out there, and it was, I've never been in anything like that. I've never experienced anything like that. From the time that I walked into the hotel, the person that was checking me in, she says, hey, wait a minute. You're that guy from Netflix, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, yes, I am. So she checked me in. She says, can I take a picture with you? I said, certainly. You know, I'm just an ordinary guy. And that... That did it. I could not step off my elevator with somebody coming up and asking for an autograph or asking for pictures. Wow. Come up to me while I'm eating dinner. didn't matter who you were with, what I was doing. 
and everybody was so kind. <coughs> they had uh, in the first group I addressed when I spoke uh, had to be about 500 people in there in a big auditorium. And the way they do it, they have different speakers going on. So you get your choice. You know, you get to go hear Gil Carrillo or you go get to see uh, Dr. Phil. Ah, uh, poor, poor bastards. I went to go see yeah. Dr. Phil. We're so, fucked. Yeah, so Dr. Phil was there. Uh, what's her name? Grace, Helen Grace, I think. she's She's got a television talk show. She's an attorneyship. Mm-hmm. I don't subscribe to her <laughs> at all. I don't know who the hell she is. Yeah, you're better off. So, <laughs> uh, she was there. They had a few people that were there um, in... Um, they had the daughter of the BTK killer. That was Bind Them, Torture, Kill Oh, shit. Uh, that's, from that's, Wichita. That's up, com- up and coming, too. That whole show on Netflix is about Mindhunter. is all about that. Yeah, well, yeah. I, there's a... Uh, I met the guy who's the actor in uh, Homicide Hunter, which is a nice guy. Him and his wife, they're just ordinary people that are just have, that are just have fame. Yeah. I wanted to go see the daughter of the BTK killer, because back then I was actually asked to consult on the BTK case. I was still working murders. Oh, shit. Here. So they made arrangements. They were flying me out, got me in a hotel just to go consult with them on the case. About three weeks before the case was, before his arrest, I mean, excuse me, he was arrested three weeks before I was due to fly out there. Oh, wow. And so I called him up. I said, well, I guess all bets are off. You don't need me anymore. You got him. And they said, oh, no, we still need you. You know, this was the arrest is here. We still have, we want to consult with you about prosecution. You know, what What are the next step? What is it going to be like? Right. Pitfalls. And not only that, we've scheduled a seminar and you're lecturing. <laughs> so oh, wow. We've scheduled you to lecture if that's okay, if you're still in. I said, that, that's fine. So I still went out there. Well, now uh, in the business, I wanted to hear what she had to say. And unfortunately... For me, not for her, unfortunately. She was due to speak 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Well, the bar closed at 1 in the morning that night. (laughs) It had been a long day on Saturday. So I went to bed, and it takes me a long long time to fall asleep when I'm in a room like that by myself. So I fall asleep, then the alarm went off, and I'm saying, nah, discretion being the better part of valor, it's best just to lay here yeah, wish you'd have gone, but you missed it. Hangovers are best served in the in the hotel room. Yeah, so I just that, that's what I did. But it was a tremendous experience. The people there were so kind. Uh, people paid. There were seven people. They were part of the VIP group. They just sat down with me for an hour at a table and just asked questions. And yeah, do that. You take pictures with them. You go to. They had a VIP cocktail party where you didn't have to pick and choose who you want to talk to. Everybody's in there and. They just come up and talk, and everybody's nice. It was a good experience. And one oh, time, they, we did a uh, a Zoom, a virtual interview, a Q and A with virtual. I'm talking to somebody from Scotland. Oh shit! You know that's on there asking questions, and so it was it was cool. You know what you gotta do? You gotta tell your buddies, uh, Rudy Moreno <laughs> and Felipe Esparza, that you have that you got your front row seats are fifteen hundred bucks. What the fuck they got on you? You know what <laughs> I mean? Right. I got my speeches over here, killing it and shit. I love it. So they were good. And the best part about the whole trip, I was uh, back when I started in jail. This was back in 1973. I was working with a guy uh, by the name of Wayne Peters. And Wayne Peters and I became good friends, but he was always an outdoorsy type guy. I want to 
hang around the city. He wants to go out hunting and fishing. You know, he's a cowboy. And yeah. So he left the department for fish and game. And from fish and game, he went to a police department right there on the Mexicali-California border. And his dad had a bait shop right on the river down there. Did that for a while, and then I kind of lost track of him for a while. Next thing I hear, he's in San Angelo as a sergeant and working, and we've kept in touch ever since then. He retired out of San Angelo as an assistant chief of police. Retired out of there probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Moved up to Colorado, lives up, got a house at the top of the hill. Damn. He's got all kinds of guns in him. He's waiting for the revolution. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he shoots him. He, he was an old uh, army ranger, uh, lived in the jungles long periods of time. You know, Damn. He, he's he's really a, a character. Yeah. Well, he had been in touch with me. I sent him a bottle of wine about two months ago, and he's a crew chief like I was on helicopters over there. And uh, it's called Rotorhead Wine. And the bottle was uniquely designed for helicopter crew members. And there's an, an air metal on there, of which we both have. And I sent it to him. So he drank it and enjoyed it. When he found out I was going to Austin, he said, well, hey, I still got a couple of buddies over there. I'll get in touch with them, have them take you out to dinner, have a drink. Oh, I, nice. I said, sounds good. So I get into town on Friday, and I'm eating in the steakhouse in the hotel. And he sends me a message, did you ever get in town yet? And I said, uh, yeah, matter of fact, I'm at the Garrison Steakhouse having me, uh, getting ready to have me a steak dinner and a glass of wine. And when I'm done here, I'm going to the bar, have me another glass of wine. I'm dead tired. And then I'm going to just go to the room. He's okay. He says, I'll let my buddies know they can contact you tomorrow. I said, all right. Five minutes later, him and his wife were standing right in front of me. Wow. They just surprised me. They came in from Colorado just to visit. And she is originally from Austin anyway. And uh, it was so great seeing them. They got to go, you know, they uh, went to my first speaking engagement that Saturday morning. I got to introduce them and had them stand up and take a bow. Decorated uh, Vietnam hero, retired chief from Texas, assistant chief my friend that came down here just to see me. Damn. I'm talking to him this morning on the phone. He says, damn. He says, there were two pretty girls right in front of me. He says, <laughs> he says and it's a good thing Edith was there with me because <laughs> they just thought I was the coolest thing since sliced pie because I was friends with Gil Carrillo, the yeah. celebrity, the rock star. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's good, though. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's 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 really – uh been interesting to see this last six months for you for sure i think uh alternate take kicked it off for you kill i think we're uh i think all i think we're the did. we're the trampoline for your success i might i might take that uh i might take that on my shoulder what do you say but um i was gonna mention that uh i i did you mentioned the tamron hall interview which i thought was really cool because i don't think anyone knew that before it came out i don't even know fuck, first of all i'm not gonna lie i don't know what the fuck tamron hall was before i saw that but um the interview itself was very very cool. And um, for those of people who don't know, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, we, we reached out uh, right after the this thing dropped. I received one of the thousands of messages I received was from a young lady that said, uh, was thanking me and blessing me because 
most important aspect of that case is I never gave up on the kids. You know, I was alleging that uh, the Night Stalker was kidnapping and molesting children. And nobody else in criminal history has ever been documented doing the things that I was alleging. So therefore, I was being called a lot of names at that time. and People were laughing and thinking that I was making, uh, trying to make a name for myself. I was a young punk investigator. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I didn't give up. And I was right. And everything went down good. And she was thanking me for not which was very important to her because she had been molested from the time she was six until the age of 12. And uh, when she can, when she talked to her family about it, they didn't believe her, and they said she was lying and she was full of the devil. Fuck. She had a, she had a rough way to go. And uh, so I reached out. Uh, and, and by the way, the molester of her was Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. It was her uncle. What the fuck? So I reached out. That's insane. Yeah, I reached out to the people, uh, the director. I said, hey, we got to do something for this young girl. You know, she's now an adult, but still, you know, we got to do something, get her some help. And he said, you're riding the horse. You give her, you know, you lead. You've already got rapport with her. You lead it. You run it. And we'll do whatever we have to do for her. So I called her back. Come to find out, she had dug. already been to a psychiatrist, had been through psychological counseling, had continued on to college, got her degree, and now she's a counselor at the, the prison system for the state of Texas. And no she, shit. Yeah, she was uh, counseling inmates who were about to be released on parole and telling them about her molestation without ever telling them who did it and without identifying a lot of things. To tell them, hey, when you get out, you're going to run into problems. You got to remember this stuff. And you, she says, so it's all good. She says, but you know, I would like to get the word out that parents have to start listening to their children, and children don't hold it inside because her story was this went on, and her dad, who was Richard's brother, they lived actually in East LA, and Richard that day that he got caught was actually on a bus trying to get to his brother's house. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. Yeah. So she said she had kept everything a secret, never told anybody. She moved right after he was arrested. They moved back to El Paso. That was at the age of 12, 13. They moved back to El Paso. And she kept in touch with her best friend, who was her neighbor in East L.A. Finally, at the age of 16, she wrote the neighbor and said, I got to tell you about this. My uncle was molesting me all this time, yada, yada, yada. And unbeknownst to her, that girl had moved with no forwarding address. The letter went back to her house. Her mother got it. Oh, shit. And her mother went off on her, and the family, you know, went off on her. Her mother was a, uh, she's now deceased. She died at the age of 41, I think she told me. Uh, from alcoholism. Her dad was in and out of jail all his life. And uh, although he was a good dad when he wasn't loaded, you know, he'd take him to the park and she'll never forget that stuff, but he was just no good. Yeah, she had a fucked up roll of the dice. Yes, and so now all she wanted to do was get the word out. So I talked to Netflix people. <clears throat> Netflix people got in touch with Tamron Hall and, and Tamara Hall. And like yourself, I had no idea who this lady was. Yeah. 
So they told me about the show. I looked it up. And I got to pee. I got to be like her handler. That's why I was on the show. I got everything out of her. We had the story down. And right after they did it, you know, we did this via Zoom. And uh, right after we did the show, they're on the phone with me. They said, well, what'd you think? I said, I'm happy with my part, but I'm going to have to give uh, Rosie a call. So I called Rosie, and Rosie's pissed off. Because, oh, shit. Yeah. The end of the show, I lost the, the computer. We had a uh, – the internet went down in my entire town. The Oh, no shit. Yeah, my – Damn, it got cut out. Spectrum cut me out. You know, everybody, there was power down. Every year they raised like 10 bucks too, and they yeah. still fuck us in the ass. I'm tired yeah, of it shit. Was, it, was just a, it was just a power outage, and so I lost. I didn't hear the rest of the show. They called me up, and I told them. I said, but let me call Rosie. And Rosie's pissed. And she says, Gil, you know, we talked about this. I did not want to talk about my uncle that much and my family life that much. I wanted to focus on getting the word out about listen to your children and kids don't hold it back. That's my message. They need to help. So I called him back and I said, she's not happy. She's not happy. I'm not happy. You guys boned her. This is what it was supposed to be like. I didn't hear it because I was, I was gone. My computer went down, and we need to do something about this. And so they did. They went ahead. The show was supposed to air like the following week, and it took about three weeks to get it out because they re-interviewed her entirely. Oh, they, we, we botched the first one. Yes. Fuck it. And so what you saw was a revised version on her side. Wow. Well, and good. It was. Uh, they did her good. She was happy. She's a wonderful lady. She has shit. I think she has about five, or six kids, and she's married. Uh, her dad, uh, because of this show, her dad is still alive, and her dad was sitting right next to her. They watched it together, and after the show, he apologized to her, begged for forgiveness. Oh shit! Said, I now, I now believe you. I'm so sorry, and. She, in fact, had her husband uh, build a house for her, her dad. And she says it's just a little shack. It's a house. Yeah. It has a toilet, has a bed, has a sink, and a closet. She says it's real small just for him. He has his privacy. He can go and come as he pleases. He's still skin popping. Uh, he's a skin popping hype. But the Lord says, honor thy mother and father. He says, I've got to honor my dad. Oh you know, shit! So she's she's just a super super nice lady, and it's a pleasure to be able to work with. That's what Tamara Hall was all about. That's what the show was for. Wow, I can't even imagine <clears throat> like if if your kid got molested, like what the fuck you would do, like I don't know. I, I'm gonna probably say something ridiculous <laughs> because like I I would honestly I would want I'd want them to die, and I wouldn't care how. I would just make sure I would want them to be gone from the earth though. Like even if they're behind bars for 30 years, I wouldn't be happy. I'd be like, I know, they're not dead. They molested a kid. They shouldn't be here. Like, that's ridiculous. You know, but, you know, what are you going to do? That's a that's a fucking crazy-ass situation right there. Well, it, it is ugly, and that's why other inmates don't even like them when they get in there because inmates have kids at home. Yeah. And it could have been their kid that got molested, so that's why they don't Yeah, take that's weird that they have molesters. rules. Yeah. That they're like, it's the... Even though they're crazy, they're murderers, <laughs> they still have a soft spot for kids and old people. Like, oh, if you fuck with them... Now we're going to get you. Exactly. That's interesting. 
Yeah, I thought that was really cool because um, that was not something that was really like uh, talked. That wasn't even. I don't even think that was even mentioned in the documentary, right? No. Yeah, not at all. And that was something very new. And I was looking up your name on YouTube. I was like, I wonder what's going on with Gil. Fucking George Lopez and like, who the fuck's Tamron? I'm gonna click on this shit. And I saw that and I was like, oh fuck, that was that was really interesting because yeah, man, I don't even know how the fuck you would deal with that. I, who wouldn't believe their kids though? That's kind of fucking weird. It happens every day. Really? Trust me. That's crazy. I remember my my dad talking to me about that. Like my mom never talked to me about that, but my dad would talk to me like if if someone. That's probably because you just used to molest yourself. <laughs> He's like, look, you gotta take a break, all right? <laughs> but no, it was a. Uh, he talked to me about it, like not like seriously though. It was not like it was more like a like a pump up talk. Like obviously, my dad knew I, I uh, what I would cuss with my friends, but never in front of him. Like that's just not you never cuss in front of your parents. You're not old enough, and you're not a man. Like you shut the fuck up. But around my friends, and it was just my friends, of course. And if he wasn't there, but he would give me permission. He's like, because I used to always walk my sister to school. It wasn't far, but it was probably about four or five blocks. And uh, and it's a residential four or five blocks, so easier to kidnap kids in there. You're not going on like the big neighbor. You're not going on Imperial or Lambert. You can get them quick and just bounce, and no one's gonna see shit. So he would tell me like, he's like, if someone asks you for a ride, if someone wants to offer you a ride, or something, he's like, you look them in the eyes, you tell them fuck you. And I was like, nine, you know. He's like, but you just get mad, like get mad, and look them in the eyes and say fuck you, and then say I'm calling the cops. He's like, it doesn't matter who it is. He's like, if it's a if a woman, a man, anybody. He's like, unless you know them, somebody's parents. Like you know them for sure, then why not? He's like, but if it's someone you don't know and you're with your sister, he's like, um, he's like, you make sure she's farthest from from him. You you so which I remember I was walking and she was closer to the street and then it was like a little green Honda. I remember this. It was I was like maybe nine or ten. We we're going to <coughs> elementary school. Actually, it was like eleven. And uh, he came up and he asked me if I need a ride. And I was only a block away, so I don't fucking need a ride already. But I don't know who the fuck this old guy is. And I remember I, I got my sister. I put him to put her to my right side. She had to be like eight or, or so. so. And I remember, like, I clicked in. I remember, like, my dad teaching me this shit. Like, I was like, oh, this guy's a kid fucker. That's immediately what I thought. Like, that's what this guy is. And I wasn't a naive kid at this point already. I had already been, you know, my, I already gotten my ass kicked a couple times. I already fucking, you know, gotten robbed by the ice cream man. I, I already know life a little decently, you know? And I told the guy, I was like, hey, fuck you, man. And he was like, he's like, why is that? You got a, you got a big mouth there, kid. Some little, some old white dude. I was like, fuck you, dude. I was like, get out of here. I was like, I don't want to fucking ride from you. And he's like, okay. And then he went around the block, and then he started off, he came back. And I was like, I fucking knew it. He is a kid fuck. Why would he come back? That's what he was doing. And then he followed me to the school, and I got back. I never saw, I mean, I never saw that car again. But I was like, I was glad my dad gave me that talk later in life, because I was like, oh, shit. Like, if that was, like, what if they never talk to your kids that way? Or what if you don't teach your kids that stuff? You know, I would have been like, oh, my God, give me a fucking ride. Yeah, sure. Like, and then that's how you get fucked, you know? So it's, I guess it's on the parents. Like, you have to teach your kids this shit. Because there's more cameras than ever, right? Yeah, but there's more weirdos than ever. How come How come back in the 60s, 70s, there was less weirdos with less cameras? But now there's a thousand cameras and there's more fucking weirdos. There's there's always been the weirdos. You just didn't hear it uh, that much. You know, I was shocked uh, before we had computers and iPads and stuff like that. I'm looking for a sexual deviant during the Night Stalker case. Yeah. So I got uh, the county to print me out a list of sex registered sex offenders mm -hmm. and the thing had to be it was all computer paper printout had to be a good 18 inches tall holy crap. big thing and i just started looking and i found that i had three sexual registered sex offenders on my block no shit yeah so you you just don't know they don't walk around with signs on them saying i'm a i'm a sexual deviant you know they're there among us now you hear 
more about them because of what happened, because of news media, because everybody's got a camera and people get involved more. But they were there. They've always been there. Motherfuckers, man. Drives me nuts. That's the one thing that drives me nuts the most. Hey, so I, wa- I wanted to mention, too, um, our last guest we had on the podcast, Mitch Callahan. Oh, yeah. yeah. He said They said he knew you. Yeah. Well, he said his family knew you. From- yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I knew his mom and dad. Yeah. I watched his dad uh, play rollerblade hockey over in Huntington Beach. Fucking Mitch was and, a, or Mike's a savage. And he is. I watched him drag some guy onto the onto the rink and beat his ass. And then after that, we went and had lunch <laughs> and he's drinking beer before he went to play his second game. You know, so unbelievable. And uh, his wife, uh, Mitch's mom, Kelly, she was my favorite. Yeah. She was my favorite. She was such a sweet, effervescent, bubbly personality, great waitress, just beautiful lady. She was just, uh, she was the best. Yeah. And we ended up being friends, and my wife and I and my kid went to watch his dad play hockey. And I followed uh, Mitch Yeah, through either his mom and one of their good friends is a, form, is a friend of mine today and former member of the department. She retired Sylvie Broussois, their boys played. Her son played with Mitch. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, when they were yet, yeah, when they were kids, and so I used to Sylvie used to keep me up to date on how he was doing. Yeah. And I remember seeing one photo, you know, where he's smiling, <laughs> and it's a bloody, gushy mess. His teeth are gone. His lip and tongue are ripped. Uh, he had taken a, a puck to the yeah. mouth. Yeah. And it, it was like. He was proud. This is it. You know, my badge that of honor. That kid's a soldier, yeah. And I just, and I knew when he went pro, you know, when he first went. Uh, but after that, then I lost touch with his mom, and uh, I didn't see her much anymore. I saw them probably the last time somebody was retired. There was something going on, and I bumped into him probably about five, six years ago. Yeah. And it was at a pizza parlor, and that was the last time I saw him. And I was so excited to see them. Yeah. You know, that was that was the first time I've mm-hmm. seen Mitch since I was, like, like 13. This is crazy because, wow. I mean, that's how close the kids in the neighborhood were, where it's like you pick up right where you left off. It's, you know, no no time's lost. So like, hey, what's up? How you been? Holy shit. How was this? And it was a good time. And then he's like, he's like dude, I saw you had a Gil Creel. It's like, my family loves him from Steven's Steakhouse and, yeah. and whatnot. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, dude, well, we got to go to fucking Steven's then. We got to go to yeah. Steak, go get some drinks, and just go I, talk some shit. I love the family. I miss them. I, I went home I, after I talked to you. I was all excited, and, and I started telling uh, my wife and my kids, "Hey, uh, my daughter." I said, "You remember when we went to watch Mike?" And she said, "Oh yeah, I was with." Yeah. I said, "You were." I didn't remember she was with us. She says, "Yeah, he <laughs> drug the guy into the rink and beat his ass." I said, "Yeah, you were with us then." <laughs> and I'm telling my wife, "I'm all excited," and I said, "She talked about her son, and I knew all about Mitch, but then nothing." And I got so stoked. When uh, you told me about him, and she says, "Oh, really?" She says, so what's he doing now? And I said, "I have no goddamn idea what he's doing yeah. now. I was just glad that he's around, and <laughs> I, I just want to hook up with the guy, just to yeah, talk old shit with him." It's funny because the way you describe Mike is how I know Mitch. It's the same same exact thing. He was like, "There's very few kids from my neighborhood where I grew up where I had I can tell like who was very different very early. Like I knew the kids from Pico Rivera. I had to act differently a little bit around them." And I had to act, and then when I was back home in like Whittier, La Habra, I'd act differently around them. He was the only kid where I was like, I can act Pico Rivera with him, and like he was, that's how he responds to that. In fact, he'll he'll think I'm weird if I act Whittier, La Habra around. That's not his style. He's like a 
he's a go-getter. He's a soldier, you know? So, like, it was cool to have them. Like, oh, finally someone I can, like, talk shit with. And, like, this motherfucker's crazy, you know? And and I wasn't that crazy either, but, I mean, I was definitely, uh, I get a little impulsive every now and then. Yeah, he's, he's I, I, and I, I don't ever remember meeting him personally. Yeah. I just followed him through friends, and uh, I was excited because it was a link to Mike and Kelly. And Mike used to uh, be, he used to do the plumbing for Stephen Steakhouse. Oh, no shit. Because he was a plumber. So I'd see him over there at Stevens, and then, of course, Kelly was a waitress. Oh, shit. And, That's uh, awesome. It, it was. So I look forward to the day that we can go back to Stevens, bring him down there, and uh, have some fun. I'm going to text him today. We'll get on that for damn sure. Um, so what's what's next on the schedule for you? What do we got going on for Gil Carrillo in the next... You know, I know we got... Fuck. Are we going back on George Lopez? Holy shit, man. That's that's insane. We're, we're uh, George, I just sent him a text yesterday. said, I'm back in town. Just before I left, he wanted me to do another show with him, but it was going to be on Monday. It was going to be yesterday, the oh, way okay. he wanted me to take with him. And I said, I can't. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be out of town, and uh, he's going to be gone this week or next week. He had already told me I'm going to be gone. I said, okay, well, I'll call you as soon as I get back. I'll touch base with you. I sent him a text yesterday, and he probably, you know, He's out of town, or he told me shove it up his ass. He has to, <laughs> not really. He's really. Uh, I enjoy being around him, and he makes me laugh. He sent me a, a text message after uh, "Be Real." Yeah, and he said, "Dude, your laughter." I said, "Hey, I'm sorry. I just laughed." <laughs> and uh, he said, "No, it's awesome, you know." And 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 he said some nice things, and he's a nice guy. I enjoy being around him. I enjoy doing the show with him because it's. It's fun. I laugh. Yeah. Hell yeah. And so he's he's invited me back. Uh, so I'll be back uh, with him soon. I've got a speaking engagement coming up in uh, September in uh, Dallas, Texas. Oh, shit. Hell and, yeah. And so things are just rolling right along and people are contacting me. And, and I almost just laugh, uh, humbly laugh. I don't know how, how else to react. Yeah. Uh, because, Someone fucking pinched me already, you know? Like waking yeah, me up. Yeah, you know, this, this is going on. And I tell the wife, I said, I can't believe people, you know, can you stop and think about it for people actually want to meet me, want to do this? <laughs> and, you know, George Lopez inviting me to his show and do, uh, there is no difference in doing this, trust me, doing your podcast than doing George's, other than I know you personally. Yeah. Uh, because. I'm no better than anybody. And I've done, uh, I was asked to be principal of the day at a uh, local elementary school. Oh, wow. And uh, I had done it probably about eight years ago, six, eight years ago, but I was representing the uh, Veterans Foreign Wars. So they wanted somebody that had, with military background had been there and they asked me to do it. So I went on behalf of the VFW. This time they just reached out and Asked me if I'd be principal of the day for him, so I said sure, and it was all done via Zoom. Oh shit! So uh, I did it for them, and it was just as important to me to do that one as any other one that I've done. Yeah, that's cool. And, and, and matter of fact, uh, I read a book to the kindergartners, and well, it was funny because it's the only time I don't ever remember having a sty, <laughs> and I had a sty, and so I read the book. To the kids and the teacher said, "Okay, does anybody have any any questions?" And one little Asian girl raised her hand and she said something. And I looked at the teacher and I said, "I'm sorry, 
And I whispered, I said, I didn't understand what she said. Yeah. Well, the rest of the kids can hear this, you know, we're on Zoom. Yeah. And the teacher said, neither did I. And then little Johnny at the back of the room sitting next to her raised his hand. He says, I know what she said. And she said, oh, okay. Well, what did she say, Johnny? She said, she wanted to know what's wrong with his eye. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck out. Hey, we're all doing jumping jacks now, all right? Because yeah. you're being a fucking wise ass over here. All right, you know, get up. So I, I got the biggest kick out of it. And the teacher, I said, you don't need to apologize. She's just being a kid. And she was curious. It's yeah. just one of those things. So Kids I, are good like that. Yeah, I, and I enjoy it. And my wife, uh, for the first time, let me say that uh, she's somewhat enjoying it. She's an introvert. Matter of fact, uh, they were talking to me while I was back in Austin at this uh, conference. They said, hey, you know what would really make a great, great speaking engagement would be you and your wife. We could have your wife get up there or she can have her own uh, time. And I said, that sounds like a wonderful idea. Yeah. I said, however, I can tell you what the answer is going to be right now. They said, what's that? And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, oh, you wouldn't allow it? I said, oh, no, of course I would allow it. But she's an introvert. She's not going to do this. It took an act of Congress just to get her on the documentary. Yeah. And there weren't people around her then. So... I told my wife uh, about it, and she says, oh, hell to the no. You know, I'm not going to do that stuff. I, She's enjoying it because she truly is the wind beneath my wings. Yeah. You know, she's always allowed me to go up front. She knows the job. She knows what I've done. She sees all the attention this has given me over the years. Well, now she's being recognized in public. Because of no her way. parents. Yeah, she is. That's awesome. Even with the mask on. You know, they're really, yeah, because of the COVID, you know, everybody's been wearing masks and uh, it's nice. People have, they were, uh, we were at an RV park at Pala over there uh, near the Pachanga Casino. There's a Pala Casino and they have an RV camp there. We're there and we were there at a, at a little barbecue and some ladies wanted, went up to her and said, do you think we can get your husband's autograph? Do you think he'll give it to us? They said, oh, sure. You know, he won't hesitate. Yeah. They had paper plates. That's what they wanted me to no autograph. No shit. And then all of a sudden one of them said, hey, wait a minute. You were on the show too. Can we have your autograph first? <laughs> and so people have asked her for autographs now. They're recognizing her, telling her what a great job, thanking her. I've had people from the department, wives, get in touch with me via email or text and saying thank her. Wow. And it let ladies around the world know what it was like to be married to a cop. Wow. So it's been good for her. She she enjoys it. She very passively, you know, just not too much attention, but once in a while it's good for her. And I'm getting recognized all over. I got recognized by TSA on the way over to Texas. No shit. On the way back, uh, I got recognized. And then... It had been a long day. I started out, which would be 3.30 our time here. Yeah. So it's 5.30 in the morning. They sent me a message, get there three hours early. My flight was for 8.30 in the morning coming back. I got there at 5.30. <laughs> that first flight was canceled. So they said, no problem. We got a 7.15 flight going on. You got plenty of time. I said, okay. 
So I go get in the TSA line. They were slow. They were backed up. They only had two lines working where normally they have uh, five or six. They only had two working. And so I don't know if you've flown lately, but 15 minutes before flight takeoff time, the doors close and they don't reopen. Well, my flight was due to leave at 7.15. I got to the gate at 7.02. Didn't make the flight. Oh, shit. And that was just going directly from TSA to them. So, okay, so I missed the flight, so they rescheduled me. The bottom line, I don't get out of Austin, Texas, till 10 o'clock that night. And I'm sitting there saying, damn, I'm tired. And one of the guys that's loading people, you know, the tickets right there, the agent, he looks at a big Hawaiian guy and says, hey, wait a minute. I'm the first one getting on the plane. Hey, wait a minute. You're that guy from that. You're, you're Gil Creole. And I said, yes, sir. And he says, oh, well, and then he announces, hey, we got a celebrity on board. <laughs> and he wants to take selfies. The crew wanted to take selfies with me. People right behind me, they said, wow, can we take a picture with you? Can we and so I said, okay, but let's move it along because there's a bunch of people that are angry. They've been bouncing yeah. around all day. Let's just get on a plane. So it happens, and I'm just touched by all this. It hasn't made me any different. I'm still the same guy I was before, and uh, I'm just grateful. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a lucky man. It's fucking beautiful. We have, we have your, your autograph over here on, on the book that you gave me uh, signed, and my my uh, producer over here gets a kick out of it anytime we bring a guest over. You're like, check it out. This is a guy I came over this, and like, oh my god, I saw the auto- I saw the whole thing. He was here, and then I don't know if you ever saw it. We we were dying laughing before you left. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up right now, but we were dying laughing when you left last time you were here. Um, you left a shoe print in the kitchen. <laughs> like this is fucking ironic. Look at this shit. I put a little post and I was like, it's no Avia shoe, but it's something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was fucking. It was hilarious. I've had one guy. Uh, that I'm going to have lunch with, I, and I'm not taking anything from him. He offered me, so with all these appearances you're making, he says, you need a guard dog for protection. Yeah. I I train him. I raise him. He said, I think you ought to have one. No shit. And I said, well, thanks. Um, thanks for the honor. He says, and it'll be free. No cost. God and, damn. And I said, thanks, but no thanks. My wife would never allow it. You know, yeah. It scared the bejesus out of her. Another guy contacted me. If you remember the documentary, very personal part of that documentary was where it comes out is my relationship with my dad. Yeah. And all I ever want to do is make him proud. Right, of course. I had some guy contact me. Uh, I want to say he's from, I don't know why I got Tennessee stuck in my mind or maybe the East Coast someplace. And he's an artist. And he wants to do a drawing, a portrait of my dad. Oh, wow. And I said, well, okay, how much is it going to cost? And he says, No. It's my way of saying thank you. You've given so much. We're grateful for all you've given for your service, not only uh, in the military, but what you did for the people of Los Angeles County. Now wow. I want to pay it forward. That's super cool. And he is, he's already sent me a couple of uh, pictures of where he's at. And it, my sister and I looked, my sister started crying. I had tears coming out of my eyes. It's that wow. good of a thing. And it's going to be a 16 by 20 on canvas, and he's gonna finish it up give it to me wow that's awesome i have a buddy does the same thing his name is john utah he's a like legendary artist draws for all these celebrities so maybe i'll send him a message let's see if he can work some up for a big big gil career around here anyways uh gil i promised you an hour we did an hour well 
I'm grateful I give you more time. However, nature's getting ready to call, brother. <laughs> I don't mess with mama nature. Tremendous. All right, everybody. This has been Alternate Take, and uh, thanks for tuning in, Gil. Thanks for coming in. Uh, I, like I said, the first time you came in, I it was a ridiculous amount of feedback we got the first time you came in. Um, fuck, I was I was hit up by like people I haven't talked to in like ten years. They're like, oh my god, I saw the thing or heard the thing, and uh, they loved it. So uh, I'm glad you get to come back, and uh, we'll get that uh, that lunch date with uh, with Mitch Stevens Steakhouse soon. I look forward to it, and thank you for the invitation. And I'm always available for your podcast. Yes, sir. Alternate Take listeners, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you silly bitches later. Peace. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our interview with the great Gil Carrillo. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, this has been another episode of Fucking Greatness, and we're going to keep it going, man. Uh, this this podcast stuff is fun. It's fun, to say the least. It's fucking great. So uh, we'll see you soon, man. Um, we should have another uh, episode coming in the next couple days uh, with a really cool-ass guest. I'm excited for you guys to hear this one. But um, in the meantime, thank you to Gil Carrillo. Thank you for coming on the show, brother. Uh, you're a great friend, and I uh, can't wait to go to Steven's Steakhouse and tear that motherfucker up. And um, that's it, man. That's all I got to say. Thank you guys for listening. Go to smoothmyballs.com, type in promo code alternate take, and get 15% off so your balls can be clean as a motherfucker, dude. All right? It's June, baby. Get them nuts clean. Anyways, thanks guys for tuning in, and I'll see you guys later. Peace. I get confused, baby. I get confused and so upset. Mm. I get scared, man. I get so scared I start to sweat. Still, I know you claim you won. You will. I'm lost in a storm, baby. Against the wall. Ooh, I'm somewhere in the middle, not remotely in the center of the
sometimes it's gonna get dark and stick with me to consume what's the light. Wrap your arms around the bit like a big stone, man. Just trust me. 